Hello and welcome to the Kalamazoo Church of Christ podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're a startup church we just planted in September 2020. And at the Kalamazoo Church, we believe that Christianity is done best when it is done together. And so if you live in the Kalamazoo area, we would love to connect. Be it coming to a Sunday service, one of our small groups, or even just grabbing coffee with a member to learn more. You can visit kalamazoo.church in order to do that. We pray that you are inspired by what you hear today. But uh, yeah, we just wanted to introduce ourselves for a minute here uh, before we get going. Let's see. All right. Yeah, this is this is our family here. Hi, I'm Jessica, and I'm, we're so excited to be here with you guys today. It really is an honor. Um, we love Jaren and Bianca, and um, it's just been such a cool connection between us and Kalamazoo. We got... I mean, Chicago land people and like Laura and Ange and Leah and Kelsey. And it's just so good to see so many people that we know and love. But just hearing about your guys' faith and the things that God's done through you guys, we feel really blessed to be able to be here. Um, Oh, and Marley and Gavin and Dugan Dugan and MIT people. So again, so exciting. So excited to get to know you. But these are our kids. That's Carter. He's five. And this is Emmett. He's two and a half. So that's a little bit about us. And just thanks for having us. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we're, I mean, we're excited to be here. Sorry it's taken two years to be, to be here. Uh, yeah. Sometimes uh, the people at home have to let you go for a little bit before you can, before you can travel out of town. But um, I'm excited. You know, Midpoint is a very, it's a very large region. Um, but I want to let you guys know, like, this feels like home. This is... Actually, I grew up in, in, small, in small churches, like in church plantings. I've been a part of two in my life. This is kind of what I cut my teeth on in terms of learning how to follow Jesus and, and be a disciple. My parents were, my parents became disciples when I was about a year old, and we met in homes, uh, hotel ballrooms, um, you know, uh, banquet halls, like for, for, for my entire life. Uh, that was kind of what we did, and uh, watched that church grow, and then I went away to college, and uh, same thing happened. Um, hotels, uh, the on-campus rooms, you know, wherever it was, it was a small little ragtag group, and um, that group grew, but at one point, I remember um, we had a campus conference, and there was a dodgeball tournament. That's what we used to do. Here in the Midwest, it's a volleyball tournament at the campus retreats. Um, on the East Coast, it was a dodgeball tournament. It was a little bit more of like, we want to take out this angst against yes, one another, and so... Uh, but we made shirts one year. We used to, we didn't have like, this is a beautiful space for you guys to meet in. We met in like a Howard Johnson like basement. And so we used to have, we made shirts for the dodgeball tournament that said, we worship at the Hojo. That was, that was our shirts for our ministry where we went. So um, I love this. And, and I think, I just want to tell you guys, this is a special time and not, not special like we're here today. This is a special time for all of you guys um, getting to participate in what, God is doing in this city, engaging our hearts, uh, exciting us for the things. I'm, I'm grateful to be here, and I, I hope you guys are grateful for what God is doing. And I think sometimes, in my experience, gratitude is hard to find in the moment. It's often easier to have gratitude when you look back in hindsight. But I, I want to encourage us as, as much as we can to stop and pause and look around and be grateful for what God is doing. Sometimes the struggles and the trials and the 
okay, here we go again, and, and I, I gotta get, I gotta go set up Kids Kingdom again, and I gotta go set up the, the band and the worship stuff again. Like, it can feel like, ah, oh, am I, am I really, really grateful for this? And, and pause in the moment and look at what God is doing. And I think, you know, when Kalamazoo began two years ago, I'm sure so many of you guys, there was just this, like, eagerness. The nerves were there, but like the good kind of nerves, yeah. the nerves that like keep you focused and keep you in prayer. Um, you moved out here maybe to be part of the planting and you probably knew what you were signing up for in, in some ways. Maybe not in all of them because, right. you know, Jaren's here, but um, <laughs> or maybe you've joined since then, since then, right? Like you, you've given up the mega church with the cushion seats or the denominational church with the pews. And now you're like, okay, we're, we're in a hotel yeah. ballroom. Worshiping God on a Sunday morning, that doesn't make sense. You know, Kids Kingdom is like a couple of Hot Wheel cars like out in the lobby, right? And you're like, what, what are we doing here? Where are the amenities? Where is, the, where, where is all this goodness? And, and, and oh, you get so excited at first. And then over time, I don't know if you guys feel that way, but over time, that excitement and that joy can start to wane away. It becomes, okay, we're doing this again. We're, we're setting up again. And if there's anything I want to encourage you to think about is when you look around and you think we are worshiping in a hotel ballroom, it should remind you that God's work is not done yet. And therefore, our work is not done yet in participating with God. And I I think we all need to have, and and the the one encouragement I have for us this morning is that we all need to have this this all-hands-on-deck mentality to to worshiping God, to be a part of his mission. Uh, Open up to Luke chapter 17 real quick. I've got a couple of scriptures I want to share with us this morning. and um, But it's we want to have this all-hands-on-deck mentality. Time has a funny way of changing our attitude and our energy. Okay. Um, the stressors that once kept you up at night preparing for something are the very same stressors that now probably knock you out and put you to bed at 8.30. Okay. Right? Like, that's just... That's what time does. Sometimes, sometimes time helps us. Uh, sometimes it solidifies our convictions. But more often than not, time is this unstoppable eroding force, right? It wears us down. It pushes us to give up on goals and relinquish them just for, like, comfort. You're like, ah, this was ideally what I had in mind, but I'll settle for this, right? Time has this way of, of wearing us down. And, and I think... Jesus talks about that a little bit in in Luke chapter 17 here. It it says in verse 20, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, which notice what's the question they asked? They said, when? When is this kingdom going to come? Right? That's the question of time. It's like, oh, I have these goals. I have this vision. But when is it actually going to come to fruition? When is it going to happen? And he says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Notice like the rejection, the, the, the strife, the struggle that's here. When, this question of when is a, it's a mixture of perseverance, but also instantaneous, right? It's like you have to, you have to keep pushing through. You have to keep suffering, but then you have to be ready because it could happen at any moment of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the hard thing about time, right? You're preparing for something in your life and it's like, okay, let me keep waiting. Let me keep pushing. 
but I also need to have my heart soft because it could happen at any time that I'm not thinking. Just as it was in the days of Noah. And then skipping down to verse 28, it will be the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. That's not an encouraging scripture, but just keep... Listening, verse 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. And this is this sentence, verse 32, probably one of the most challenging and simplest sentences in the Bible. It just says, remember Lot's wife. Sometimes I just read that in the context of everything. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. But, but think about that. Remember Lot's wife. There's this struggle going on. In it, and if you know the story in the book of Genesis, but God is coming to deliver Lot and his family from Sodom, from Gomorrah, from the things that are going on. And, and he does this miraculous thing. And they, they held out there barely, but they held on and they persevered. And then God came to deliver them from the city and bring them out and, and destroy the city. And as they're leaving and doing something that they persevered for, that they had a soft enough heart in the moment, what did Lot's wife do? She turned and looked back. She thought, oh, but, but, but there was something nice about that. There was something comfortable about what was going on right there. And Jesus simply says here, remember Lot's wife. I think regression over time is a, it's a law, it's a law of nature, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I forgot to, there it is. Remember Lot's wife. Okay, so regression over time is is a law of nature. I cannot begin to count the number of things that I have begun but not finished. I have no less than three projects in my garage that are not done right now. It's like, ah, I've, I've got to stain the deck this season before it gets too cold, right? We've got these weeds that need to get done. My gutters need to be cleaned before all the snow accumulates in it, right? I've, we've got these projects that are not done. There's a gate that I need to finish building, right? There are these things. Now I'm going to get overwhelmed thinking about these things, right? I have books that I have bought, but I have not begun. There are fitness goals that fizzle out over time, right? There are friendships that fade. My dad used to have this phrase when I was young. He said, if ifs and buts were nuts and bolts, we'd have a construction set. It's this whole kind of thing of like, oh, well, if I had this or, but this thing came up and he's like, yeah, you can keep saying that. And then we'll have this whole like accumulation of pieces of things. How many of you have an old instrument sitting around your house? A musical instrument you were determined to get good at one day. How many of you have a ukulele? You bought that ukulele back in the day. There's got to be someone. Okay, there's a couple of people in here, right? It's like, oh, I was going to be the next Jason Mraz right here, right? You, you bought that ukulele. Maybe you bought this special cookbook. You were like, this is going to be my thing, right? I got the Instapot. I got the cookbook. And you've made one meal in it, right? You got those new running shoes, and you've used them like three times, right? And it's just like, okay, we have this, this thing, this, that tool, you had to have, right? You convinced your spouse, you're like, no, 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 I really need this tool, right? And you still haven't finished the project that you bought the tool for. For me, this example is, it's backpacking. And my wife is just like laughing. I was, I was telling her this the other day. She's like, that's absolutely true. true. Um, my love for backpacking. And when I say my love for backpacking, that love is just in theory. Okay. <laughs> 
I want to be honest, I've never actually been backpacking, right? Everything about it is something that I would love. I run all the time, like running and fitness, being outdoors. I love gear. I grew up camping with my family. Uh, When I moved to the Midwest, all of my new friends did camping and backpacking. And it was like, I'm going to get into this thing, right? But I don't have a ton of money. So it was like, you got to buy the gear over time, right? So I was like, let me get the bag. Let me get some cook stuff. Let me get a new bag, a sleeping bag. And and I still never gone, (laughs) right? Like I got to one point and I was like, I'm going to stop asking for new stuff because I have yet to use it, right? I'm accumulating all these things. Like I didn't finish what I started. I have a problem where I don't finish all the things I start. And I'm going to assume based on the laughter in this room that I'm not the only one that falls into that category sometimes. But what you guys are building here, the whole reason you're worshiping in a hotel ballroom instead of in pews somewhere or instead of in another church somewhere, the whole reason you're here is because you are building something. And this is a work you need to see to completion. It's something we need all hands on deck for. This is something we have to finish what we start. You can't let entropy and decay overpower that Holy Spirit that's stirring within you. Now, I'm going to be clear for a second. God will finish this work long past our time here. Some of us will move away. Some of us may pass away, right? God God is going to keep doing his work regardless of what we do. I think the question for us, though, is, Are we on the boat, but not putting our hands on deck? Are we along for the ride? Are we weathering the storm? But instead of up manning the sails and the ropes, we're down hiding below. We're waiting for someone else to steer the ship instead of being involved in what's going on. So go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 27. This is going to be the the main text we're at today. And, And just a very simple question to consider is, Do your hearts still burn the way they once did? As of now, as of your disposition when you walked in the door this morning, are you still as excited about what God can do in your city as when you first moved here? Are there butterflies in your stomach the same way when you packed up your possessions and got in that car and went looking for a new apartment? Do you still have that good sense of, man, there's mission, there's something going on here. God is stirring, God is moving. Those new friendships that you met when this team came together where you're like, we have to spend all this time together. I've got to know my brother. I've got to know my sister. Do you still feel that way? Or has fellowship turned into like a bit of a time obligation? A bit of a like, well, I guess I should do it, but I don't, I'd rather just blah, 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 and be to myself right now. If I'm honest, this is what happens in my heart if I don't keep it in check. This is what time can do. This is the force of, of time. The law, part of it's a law of human nature. Part of it is the work that Satan does. He just slowly erodes on our souls over time. We need to remember Lot's wife, but we need to remember we need to keep all hands on deck. And not just for Kalamazoo. We're talking about the kingdom of God. That's right, that's it's right. much bigger than Kalamazoo, yeah. but it is entirely Kalamazoo. Right. Anyone that follows Jesus anywhere at any time on the place of the earth needs to have an all-hands-on-deck mentality. And this is something where, I'm going to be honest, we have a, our congregation is about 500 people. We still need the all-hands-on-deck mentality. You can walk into that room and you can feel like, well, there's, there's a lot of people here. There's probably not much to do. I actually believe there's even more to do in a group that size. 
And so when, when we're here, when we're in this mission field, when we're in this, like, okay, remember, we look around, we're in a hotel ballroom, right? God's work isn't done yet. Let's keep all hands on deck. So Acts 27, I'm going to skip through bits and pieces of this. It's quite a long story. This is the end of Paul's life as he's sailing for Rome. So verse 1, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day they landed. Uh, the winds were against them. They get on another ship. They spend time. They go to this place called the Fair Havens. Verse 9, much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because now it was after the Day of Atonement. They're getting into like what we would call hurricane season, right? They're trying to... It's not the right time to be sailing, but this is this was the time they were there. And so verse 10, Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Which kind of makes sense. You're like, Paul is like this Jewish, he's like a, a rabbi basically, and we're going to listen to him or we're going to listen to the guy that owns the ship and, and steers the ship. We're going to listen to this guy, right? And so so they go and it ends up not being great. Verse 13, when a gentle southwest wind began to blow, which is always how storms start. You're like, oh, it's just a little breeze. It's not that bad, right? They saw their opportunity. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught in a storm but could not head into the wind, so we gave way and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kada, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbar. I don't know if you guys have ever felt this way. You're, we're in this journey, we're, we're on this, we're trying to build this thing for God, we're trying to glorify God with this, and it just feels like wave after wave and the wind and the storm. And we're like, we are holding this thing together with ropes and duct tape right now. They're like, who's singing today? I don't know. They're not here. I guess it's me, right? Who's doing Kids Kingdom? I don't know. I don't even have kids. I guess I need to learn, right? And we're, we're like, I'm, pre oh, I'm preaching. I'm sharing communion. I've never spoken publicly in my life and you want me to get up here and talk about Jesus, right? Like, it feels like you're holding it together sometimes, right? Verse 19, on the third day when they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, that's how bad it was. They threw the supplies over. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That's not what it sounded like when they started their journey. And I don't know if in your heart sometimes you feel like, okay, where I am at right now, is not what it felt like when I said, I'm going to move here and be a part of this thing that God's doing. Sometimes it might feel different. You hit discouragement, you hit a wall, personal things going on in your own life or in your own family. Things can, this time, the way it decays and it erodes at us and, and the joy and, and vigor with which we set out for sometimes begins to fade as life creeps up on us. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice, right? <laughs> there you go. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whom 
I belong to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, while we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land, they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Sometimes that's all you can do. You're like, God, just bring some light in in the midst of the storm, right? In the midst of this discouragement, I need some faith. In an attempt, listen to this in verse 30, to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks in front of them all. Then they broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And then as the story goes on, daylight comes, they run aground on some island, and guess what? All 276 of them make it to the island on the other end. There's a turning point in this story, though. There's there's a point of where it goes from despair to hope. There's a point where it goes from darkness and, and life and to light. And I don't know if you noticed where it was, but... It's the point where they cut loose the lifeboats. Because up until that point, there are several mentions of the lifeboat. What happens is there's a storm and they go and fidget with the lifeboats. It gets windy, there's a lot of rain, and they go and they pretend to let down the lifeboat, right? And this idea of here's plan B. Here's our escape. Here's our way out of this right now. And what's interesting is there's so much anxiety in the lives of the people that feel like there's a plan B in the midst of the storm. And Paul and the centurion just decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cut the lifeboat. There is no plan B. You have to stay with the ship. All hands have to be on deck right now. And at that point, the men say, okay, you know what? We're going to eat some food and we're going to follow through with this right now. And to me, this is a very powerful lesson about what to do when times come, when trials come, when we feel like things are eroding away and that vigor we once had seems to be like it's failing us. I need to look around and examine, are there lifeboats in my life that I'm allowing to be there? Are there these plan Bs that I'm saying, well, if this doesn't work out, I've got this over here. There's no way to be faithful for the thing that you're striving for if you have plan B and C and D and E that you are aggressively hanging on to. There's no way you wholeheartedly commit to plan A. And I think there's always a temptation for me to fiddle with the lifeboat. Ah, this is getting really, really hard. Let me go, let me go inspect this just in case. And I'm not talking about the wisdom that, that books like Proverbs teach us to have about our investments and things like that. I'm talking about our faith, the lifeboats of our faith. The storm is raging. Your energy is weak. You've been at it for a while. Maybe you feel like breaking away from the group and and getting into your smaller little thing will, will be a larger success. These are seasoned sailors. 
These are like, these are mighty men. These are guys that, that grew up on the sea and they are going to fidget with the lifeboat. And I think if I'm honest, there, there are two lifeboats in my life that I allow to distract me. One is I get too busy and I get too preoccupied with the wrong good things. And let me be clear, the wrong good things. We can all look at each other and open up the scripture and be like, okay, you're focused on the wrong bad things right now. That's called sin, right? We're, we're pretty good at pointing that out. But what about the wrong good things? A lifeboat's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's an integral part of the ship. There was a time when I, I did a campus internship one summer. Uh, I went to school at Virginia Tech. Big school. It feels a lot like, like Western does over here. And a uh, beautiful campus drove through, by the way, this morning. Um, but I went and did uh, a summer internship in my home city of Virginia Beach one summer. And there's a small little school called Tidewater Community College. It's like three vanilla buildings. The cafeteria is like a microwave and two vending machines. Like it's this small little place. No one goes there. No one's excited. It was like 13th grade for all the kids that I grew up in high school with. It was like where I go when I don't know what to do here. And so um, I went there one summer and the goal was to go share our faith and to have Bible talks on campus and to make disciples. And I can't tell you how many times I would go out and I'd, I'm going, I'm walking, I've got my backpack, I'm sharing my faith on campus. There's this guy coming up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go share my faith. I'm going to go share my faith with him. I'm going to reach out to this guy. And all of a sudden I remember, hey, there was that brother. I told him I would pray for him. You know what? I should call him and check in on him right now. Good thing. Very, very good thing. But what was I doing? I was masking the other good thing that I didn't want to do. The good thing of calling this brother that I love was becoming a lifeboat that I was using to escape what I needed to do, which was to share my faith right there in that moment. Oh, okay, let me, let me go share my faith with this group of guys. You know what? I, I, should, I should work on writing that Bible talk that hopefully these three guys will come to right now. And then I'd sit down and do that. I'm like, what? I'm writing a Bible talk for, there's not even anyone coming to the Bible talk because I need to go share my faith with them, right? But we get this idea of it's easy to get distracted by good things that aren't the right things. That's a lifeboat. I get preoccupied. I think about in Luke chapter 10 with, with Martha and Mary, right? And Jesus has that famous phrase where he's like, Martha, Martha, right? And he's like, he's like, what are you, what are you doing? She's running around cleaning the house, trying to prepare it for Jesus. And what's Mary doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus right there. I think how often it is for me to get preoccupied with other things. Like, okay, let me, let me spend five hours designing this really, really, really cool invitation but then I spend so much time doing it that I don't actually have the time to hand out the invitation to the people that it was meant to be designed for, right? And it's easy to get distracted with the wrong things. It's easy because you're in a group like this and you look around and there are lots of needs. When we're on all hands on deck, we're all participating in the needs that are going on here. The other thing, and this is an even bigger one, is I can over-prioritize my gifts, and I mean that at the expense of responsibilities. And I want to talk with nuance here for, for a second. Um, God loves us and created us individually. And there are many, many passages in the Bible about the unique gifts that God has given each of us. Mm-hmm. And the way we are to, to grow those and develop those and serve with them. I have seen an ongoing trend where we love the personalizations of our gifts so much that we forsake the collective responsibilities that we all have. We look at something and we say, well, that's not my gift, and so we don't do it. As if the idea of sharing our faith, well, that's not my gift. It might not be, 
but it is our responsibility. Serving the poor, well, that's not my gift. Nope. But it is your responsibility Amen. to do. And we've, we've become a, a culture now where everyone's taking Enneagrams and, y- you know, y- you know what, like Hogwarts house you were a part of. And you're like, I'm a, I'm a seven Hufflepuff blue and I am Rachel from Friends. And I am you like, you take all those little BuzzFeed quizzes and you're like, this is who I am in a nutshell. And so these are the things that I need to do for God based on these things. And that's great. But what that can do sometimes is it becomes an escape. It becomes a lifeboat from the responsibilities that we have right now. The responsibilities of having all hands on deck. If the captain screams out all hands on deck and you respond, that's not my gift. We all have a problem right now. Right. It says there were 276 men on board. Let me tell you, they weren't just like like on a carnival cruise right there. All of those 276 people had a responsibility to help that ship move forward. We have to stop making Christianity so much about our abilities that we neglect our responsibilities. Everyone is saying, I want to find a place that appreciates my gift. But then the second we start to ask them about a responsibility, people lawyer up or they run. They're like, whoa, 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 that's, that's not my thing right here. That's not a culture. That's not an all hands on deck culture. That's not this idea of we've got to stay with the ship and we've got to be in this together. I love right here what he says in verse 30. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. He doesn't say unless you stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. He says, unless these other men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. The salvation of the whole is based on the salvation of each individual there too. You guys, we're we're a community. We're so closely knit and tied together. We need all hands on deck. You need to have your hands on deck because the work that you do helps to not only ensure your own faith and your own salvation, but the faith and the salvation of everyone in this room and everyone in this city by you doing and participating in that work. What happens when disciples of Jesus absolve themselves of responsibility because they're too focused on their own uniqueness? Maybe it's because we get tired. Responsibility wears us down. Maybe it's because we're afraid of failure. Or hard work. Responsibility can be that way. I feel that way. What if I'm not good? What if I fail at this thing that I am trying to do? Let me just avoid it altogether. Maybe we like to feel unique and novel, and we don't want to be just like everyone else. And the responsibility that we all share makes me feel like I'm just like everyone else. Maybe we can take too many cues from social media or the news instead of the Bible. Maybe we fill our insecurities by trying to find something that is so special about us Instead of remembering the thing that makes us special is the creator who's given us all these things. Maybe it's all of these fears and more, but we have to remember that when we said Jesus is Lord, that's the captain saying all hands on deck. God made you. He loves you. He gave you amazing gifts. Use them, cultivate them, discover them, but don't use them as a guise to keep your responsibilities at arm's length. Keep developing your gifts, but don't neglect the responsibilities that we all share in. Can you imagine a group of people with all hands on deck? What would that look like? I think it would look a lot like this. All hands on deck. But I think in the Bible, there are quite a a few. In Mark chapter 2, there's an example of a paralyzed man coming to Jesus, and he can't get to Jesus because of the crowd. And so what happens? Four of his friends pick him up, climb up on the roof, dig a hole in the roof, and lower him through. That's all hands on deck. 
That man's salvation is, is eminently tied to the four friends that are around him, not giving up on their responsibility. They might have said, well, it's not my gift to dig through a roof. It's probably no one's gift to dig through a roof. But they did it. It was their responsibility in that moment. What about in Nehemiah? when they're rebuilding the wall around the city. And if you read Nehemiah chapter four, it's along the lines, I'm going to sum it up very quickly. It's, he did this, and next to him, he did this, and next to him, he did this, and next to him, this family did this. And it literally describes him as they had a sword in one hand and like a shovel in the other. They're building a wall and they're defending themselves at the same time. And it only worked because they were all doing it next to each other. There was no, there was no like government management at that thing where it's like four people sitting around watching one person lay bricks, right? They were all laying bricks and digging the wall. In Acts chapter four, verse 32, it, it talks about the church contributing to one another. And it says there were no needy people among them. It says from time to time, someone would sell their property or possessions to give to someone in need. And I think, well, it's not my gift to just sell all that I had. It's no one's gift to just sell everything they had. It was the responsibility to take care of one another. That's what made the all hands on deck. What if any of these guys, what if the friends of the paralyzed man, what if the, the men and women in Nehemiah, what if the disciples in Acts chapter four, what if one of them said, nah, man, that's not my gift. Hey, we need, we need your help, all hands on deck. And you're like, you know what? I took a quiz online. That's not my gift. Ask this person to do it instead. Where would the ship be? How long would we weather the storm? I want to challenge you guys. As you grow, as this mission continues to impact this city, don't become a church that lives by the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule is that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And at first it was all hands on deck. It was like everyone had a role. And then as it grows and as people emerge and you're like, well, I'm not as good as that person. So I might as well not try. And we sift down and we sift down and we sift down. Be an all hands on deck ministry. I think each part must keep doing its work. Some people can lead singing, but everyone can sing joyfully. Some people can preach but everyone should share the gospel. Some people can give lots of money, but everyone can give generously. Some people can lead groups, but everyone can serve in the group that they are in. Some people can counsel deep matters, but everyone can ask compassionate questions. Some people can teach the Bible, but everyone can study the Bible for themselves. Some people can host, but everyone can be hospitable. Some people have the opportunity to share their faith with presidents and athletes and ambassadors at universities and CEOs, but everyone has the ability to share their faith with their neighbor yes. and their coworkers and their family. The goal is that you do the things that only you can do without sacrificing the things that everybody should be doing. Do the things that God has uniquely given you, but don't forfeit the responsibility he has called us all to. Right. That's an all hands on deck. That's the only way we make it through this storm together. That's the only way our faith continues to grow is that we keep growing our gifts, but we don't neglect the responsibilities that we each have. Flip over to Ephesians chapter four here. We're gonna, we're gonna close with one last scripture and then take communion in just a second. Time 
Time wears us down. The stressors of the world, the, the storms, the wind. I, we, could, we could go through all these analogies. The, the excitement we had at first tends to fade over time. And I, I think it's hard to look back and be like, okay, I need, to re- I need to have the same energy that I had when I first started. I need to gear back up. That might feel overwhelming to you, but that is the picture of the church of Jesus Christ. That is the picture of what it looks like to be in one another relationships. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about where this comes from. In, uh, starting in verse 11, it says, So Christ gave himself the apostles. These are the individual gifts, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service. So here's the thing. There's unique gifts given to some people, but all of those unique gifts are to equip all of the people for the work of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. This is that everybody must stay with the ship. All these things are so that we all finish this together. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Literally everything is needed to hold it together. As it grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. We all have unique parts of the body. We love that scripture in 1 Corinthians, right? Like the, the I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. They, we all need to be together, and we are all together when each part does its work. When we maintain this all-hands-on-deck mentality to our faith. And we do this all because Christ is the head. He designed it to be this way. We might think, oh, it's better if just only some people do the work, and I just sit around, and I just, I just watch. I'm just a spectator. That's not the way Jesus set it up. Jesus set it up so that we all participate in lordship. We all said Jesus is Lord. Now we all get to walk together in that. Let's remember that. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to take communion. God, we're grateful for this time to get to worship you this morning. And as we we sit here, and um, I know there are probably different levels of of fatigue and faith, even amongst this group and within this room this morning, God. Uh, there are some of us that are still uh, as fired up as when we first began, maybe even more so. And, and I know there are some, God, just by the laws of nature that we've grown tired and, and it, it can become wearisome. And we can look around and think, uh, gosh, I would love to not work as much as I did before. And God, I just pray that we can have an all hands on deck mentality. God, that we look at one another. We look at the mission that's before us. We look at the storm that we're in, we look at how hard it is to follow you every day, and we desperately remember that this only happens if we all do it together. All hands must be on deck. All of us have to stay on the ship. The whole body has to be joined together with every ligament as each part does its work. God, I pray we don't fiddle with the lifeboats. I pray that when the storms come, when the days come that we feel tired and fatigued, when the challenges in our own life come and in our own family and in our own health and in our own finances and the overwhelmingness of the world around us that we don't look for plan B and we don't hold on to plan C. God, I pray we are willing to cut back those lifeboats and we're willing to hold on and reach out to those that are in the boat with us right now. God, that we'll have all hands on deck, that each part will do its work. I pray that 
you will give us the wisdom to discern from the, the right things versus the good things that might distract us from the right things in that moment. That we'll have the humility to defer to one another when, when we need to ask questions about, am I, how am I best using my time? How should I balance my life better? How can I use and serve God with what he's given me? God, I also pray that as we seek to develop and, and grow in our own spiritual gifts that you've given us, God, that we don't use those gifts as, as a way to hide out from the responsibility that you've called every follower to have. God, that each of us will continue to do the things that only we can do, but we will never forsake doing the things that we should all do. God, I pray for this church. I pray for every man and woman and child who's here. God, I pray that that the children are growing up here and they are, they are seeing a church where you are put first. They are seeing acts lived out in their homes and in their community and that it inspires their faith for years and years to come. I pray for the campuses in this city, God, that that the disciples who are on these campuses will be a bright light. They will be different. They will be people that stand in the gap during a storm and reach out to one another. I pray for, for the marrieds and the singles and the, the members in the community that are here, God, that they will be bright lights in an otherwise very dark and tumultuous and stormy world. God, I pray that all these parts will not be siloed, that there won't just be children in campus and singles and marrieds, God, but they will all be all hands on deck in the ship together. God, I pray for this church. I'm so inspired by the disciples who live here, who have moved here, for the people that are coming out and they see something different. They look around in a hotel ballroom and they think, why would I go here when I could go somewhere else? I pray that they walk in and they realize this is the ship that I want to be on. These are the people that I want to entrust my life to, and I want to be a part of helping their lives as well. We love you guys. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Kalamazoo Church of Christ podcast. If you're in the Kalamazoo area, we'd love to get connected. Please go to kalamazoo.church and fill in your information to come to a Sunday service or any other event that we have going on. In any case, you'll be hearing from us next week. Come on! Too busy saving souls.